The opinions expressed in the following podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide education and entertainment about the financial industry and the stock market. Enjoy. On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we talk about trading newly listed stocks, bull traps, and wish. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. Buy the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, life's this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out there making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting their work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity at Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Today's episode of Pennies Going In Raw is brought to you by Benzinga. Benzinga is our absolute favorite resource to use to trade with. We use it for charts and news and scanners look guys we use it for everything except for buying and selling stocks i mean that's all there is to it and if you're not using benzinga pro which you can get for two weeks free at pro.benzinga.com that's pro.benzinga.com you should at least be checking out their youtube channel every single day youtube.com forward slash Benzinga. They have Hot Stocks Luke's and a just plethora of fantastic guests from me and Hugh to Mia Khalifa to Ripster to CEOs of companies to CEOs of Weeble. They have it all, guys. Make sure you check it out. That's youtube.com forward slash Benzinga. Welcome back to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Wednesday, June the 16th and... You know, obviously last week was super hot, and this week is not exactly last week. It's not bad, but it also isn't, everything isn't on fire. There's some offerings, there's back to almost a Knife City kind of situation. Obviously, you, you've always got to be adapting, but what are you kind of noticing? Did you kind of see this as a bull trap, or just as things got super hot last week and they needed to cool down before they got overextended? Yeah, so things got super hot, and they really need to cool down. The point that I think that the really this season of PGIR as a whole should be is that, you know, it, it's not really the, like the market's going to go one direction for six months and then change their direction and go that direction for six months. We, what we've seen is like a lot of range. And so it's been getting used to, and I feel like, like we use this example all the time, but it's just because it's the truth, the break in the pedal constantly. Okay. It always has to be um, the break in the pedal, you know, foot on the gas, foot off the break and that's where you know something like a swingers market comes in and yes the point of swinging is to hold for the bigger move but that being said if something like we get news 
and it's not the news that we're looking for, and the stock goes up 30%, hell yeah, we can take some off the table. Because something like Vissel today got great news, and it actually was red for a minute by, uh, halfway throughout the day. So that's like an instance where like, yeah, like if it's up like 10, 15, 20, 30%, take some profit, and then we'll come back to it and buy it back lower. That's one of those things where you can kind of pay yourself and manage your trade at the same time. I think that we're through the uh, buy, hold, and in two months, make a thousand percent. I think we're out of that stage. And I think that from here on out, it needs to, positions really need to be closely managed. Another thing you really, you know, were probably happy about this week, strong reversal on TRCH. It was your swing from a while ago. Uh, you called it right before the swing downturn situation of, over the past couple months. But it, it hit over fives, dropping below fives right now as we're recording this Tuesday after hours. But uh, could you kind of give us, you know, the reason why it turned around, the reason, you know, you held, why you had conviction on it through the whole thing, and how you handled that drop and everything? Yeah, so it's never easy when, I mean, we always hope for dips, but with something like TRCH, I mean, it flew. They had, the same time that I called the swing, the market was really hot for swinging. Um, you know, everything was mooning. And then, and then almost at the same day, they came out with news that they were done their debt. So literally, I had gotten done Sunday talking about, hey, the next news that we should see is, is debt release. And then the next day, that same PR came out and everybody chased it up. It's always tough because we always want dips. But when something goes from literally $4 down to under 2 that's when it's like, holy hell, like what the hell? Uh, so, I mean, I know that even, even when it went with my average, you know, I thought that I was getting a great price at 250 and then it kept dipping. So my average was about 208 when I stopped buying and it did go underneath my average for a good, good, like two, three, four weeks. And what, what had happened was, was that the market got cold and the company went into a quiet period, which means that they're literally not, not going to release news. Like they're inside, like they're trying to handle things internally and, that's when I was like, well, you know, just roll me over, you know, step on me. And yeah, like, like they drove the bus over me and, uh, and I was really frustrated. But again, the thing that I kept having to tell myself was, has anything changed with the catalyst? Has anything changed with the fundamentals of the company? And, you know, what, why would I have dumped it other than the short term price action didn't make sense? And when I had asked myself that question, it didn't make sense. There was no reason for me to dump it because the fundamentals hadn't changed. There was no, there was no negative catalyst that had come out. And so that's what really ultimately had me add as much as I did. And I had a, I had a pretty good amount. Um, I, I had a pretty good amount of TRCH. I had one account all in. Um, it was in, it was in like three or four different accounts. So all in all, though, I knew what I owned. I, I honestly was not expecting sixes. I thought that on news, we would get a nice pop back to like 455 and we would all make a great buck and, and call it a day. Uh, but I mean, at the way that looking right now, I mean, yeah, it's back. It closed right at five. It was sitting at six earlier. Um, you know, who knows what this does? Who really knows what this does? And part of what I wanted to go over today was that I'm not going to sit here and be like, okay, it, it, this is what it's going to do. And this is how it's going to react. We need to trade what's in front of us. 
So as a TRCH holder, we can't just be all emotional and 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 flipping out and stuff because that's just not going to go anywhere. But we need to create a plan so that we are ready for whatever comes at us. And I think that that's how I'm going to play. And that's how I think everybody should play because everybody's up a great buck. Most people are up 100, 170% I saw. Uh, I think someone was up 201%. So uh, how we're going to play this smart, but we're also going to try and squeeze as much money out as we can. So uh, what is what is your plan going forward with TRCH? Have you sold a majority of the position? Are you planning to add back at certain levels? Where, where are you going forward with this one? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Uh, so what I'm going to do is is that I actually sold half right above uh, five twenty, and that was just to lock profits. I uh, this swing was more. So you're writing a, a full a free position at this point. Oh yeah, because you yeah, locked yeah. in over half oh, of a hundred. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, I could. I, there's no way that I can possibly lose on this position. Um, like I said, my average was at two hundred eight. So when I cut it right over five, it was it was more than a than a hundred percent gain. I cut half there, and then I cut another quarter over six. And that wasn't even because I felt like like that like we had finished our run. That was because our run had happened so fast. When you look at the chart, I mean, it's just a zeal. So um, my thing was like, hey, this is up a lot. You know, the news was good, but I I do feel like a pullback will come before anything. I probably won't add any unless it goes like sub 350. But at this point, the way that I'm looking at it is that let's see where it goes. I still think that the market cap is relatively small. I still love what Meta's doing. And I still have a decent amount of shares, but I already locked great profit. Like I already locked some stupid profit that I could walk away for the rest of the month, the rest of the quarter. So I'm going to play it like, okay, I'm going to have a stop loss on, but I'm also going to, uh, if, if there's any negative catalyst come out, because the one thing that I am worried about is that the dividend is good. But the one thing I'm worried about is I'm worried about them dropping a massive offering. Like I'm talking like a hundred million. Okay. And that's what I am worried about happening um, because I probably wouldn't blame them. They're, they're doing a reverse split, which is normal for mergers. Okay, let me, get that, let me get that straight there. It is normal for mergers to do reverse splits. But the thing that comes with that is that they usually do an offering with it. And that's what I'm worried about. So if they drop a massive offering comparative to market cap, then that's when I'll probably just sell and be like, great, we made 150, 200%. Let's walk away. Go grab beers. But if the price kind of stays above four four dollars a share, and you know, if it stays above four dollars a share and it runs into the merger, I'll probably just hold these and see what see what it does. And then and then one day when I get bored with it and, it, and it's not doing anything, then I'll drop it or something. But right now, you know, I'm having so much fun with it. This is what I love about swinging. This is what I love about trading. So as long as it kind of hangs above four. If it hangs above four, no bad catalyst, I'll hold it. Yeah, and that's that's what I think. Like, so if if it goes under four, do you have a stop loss there? See that? See that's going to be the thing where it depends, uh, because that might be where I add some. But like I said, is that if it feels like a bad catalyst is coming, like you know, like like when uh, when I think like the saying is somebody always knows before everyone else knows, and so if I just start to see massive just massive shares starting to get dumped, uh, then I'll know that that's somebody bigger. You'll, you'll contribute to the dumping. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. And I will gotcha. feel bad because okay. we're all up massive percentage. Um, okay. But but like I said though, is that if it just starts kind of dwindling down for the next like week or two, then yeah, I'll add some. Uh, but like I said, is that if it's just aggressive dumping, then I'll just take my profit and go. Um, on the flip side, like I said, any bad catalyst, I'm out. And for anybody who was holding with me in the 170s, you know, two dollar range, take some, take your initial investment off the table. Okay. The thing that I hate more than anything, or the thing that bothers me more than anything, is when we get a 100, 150, 200 percenter. And then people ride the trade all the way back down. We will not do that on here. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. All right. Okay. Well, moving forward, uh, Bitcoin back over forty thousand. You saw after the Bitcoin conference a couple of weeks ago um, or weekends ago. Uh, I I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but I thought the meme that that was like Bitcoin's dipping and all the buy supports drunk in Miami. <laughs> um, you know it. You saw it dip around like 5K there and, you know, it's back over 40K and the miners all took a big hit, uh, mainly after the whole Elon thing. But they're actually starting to respond to Bitcoin really well with, you know, uh, some of the ones that Manzel mentioned on the previous episode with, you know, Riot, Mara, Can, uh, all of those. And, you know, you're kind of seeing them respond to Bitcoin uh, and run with their sympathy. Yeah, yeah. And and that's definitely it. it, it... The one thing that I think is really great to think about is that if you don't start to chart Bitcoin a little bit, support resistance ranges so that you have an idea of, hey, okay, if it breaks out over 40K, you know, then it can really start to run, but it's not going to break a new hot. Like, like this is like kind of as a trader, you know, this is where like the evolution comes from is that not thinking, okay, it breaks 40K and now it's going to go to 70K. Understanding that if it breaks 40K, it has a good chance to run to 55, um, but not break 55. So I'm gonna get out at 54. Like, th- like that's where like the evolution of the trading needs to come from. And I think that that we're seeing that with, especially like Manziel and some of these younger traders who really came into the Corona market and really just held and banked, you know? And then <laughs> they maybe saw a pullback in their accounts and they adapted and now they're really starting to kill it. Like William Mitos having like that 200K week, you know? Uh, so I think it's awesome to see. But I think that that's going to be like the evolution of the trading. It's it's also interesting uh, just watching Elon just going back and forth on his ideas about it. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, I think he realized he made a mistake and now he just is trying to backpedal. Because, I mean, you saw him say, I will consider Bitcoin if we find some like 50% energy bullshit. You know, obviously, I'm not a, uh, you know, chemical engineer or anything. So, I'm, you know, I don't know exactly what he was asking for. And, and you're seeing like El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender. So, I mean, there is news coming out around it. And uh, obviously, it's always something that, you know, excitement grows around as, as time moves on. But as to the main part of the episode, we want to talk about trading newly listed uh, stocks, ones that came out that day, uh, you know, and, and there are multiple different kinds. There's direct listings, there's IPOs, even SPACs to some extent, uh, mergers, et cetera, et cetera, where there's a new ticker on the market. You saw it today, which is Tuesday, with ALZN. Yeah, it opened up right below 30 and then it halts up or halts above 30 and then the rest of the day it dwindles down. I know a lot of people don't like to trade these new IPOs or 
direct listings, but clearly there are a lot of, you know, different ways to do it. Do you kind of want to touch on some of those and the differences in them? Yeah, yeah. So I actually have some ALSDN, no, nothing crazy. I have like 4,000 shares left. I mean, my, the way that I played it was I was just buying and holding. And I sold some at 25. I sold some at uh, 12. And then I bought some back like right around, I guess it was like 1350. I had I, my averages. And the way that I'm handling this is kind of like ALF. It's got a really small float. And the way, okay, uh, let me, let me backtrack. The way that I think of these is that they can go, but it's not one of those like buy and hold situations because when they go, they go hard. They go two, 300%, but you might get stopped out one, two, three times in a row. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing, you know, like with this, with this ALZN, you know, I mean, I have, I have 4,000 shares at 1350. And I'm only getting stopped out at $9 a share. But you can see that this is starting to create a base. And kind of like ALF, when ALF IPO'd, I mean, ALF went from $4 down to 2 And then it went all the way up to like 6 or something. Yeah, one of the best ways I like to do them is, is whenever they list, seeing what price they're listing at and then waiting for that dip, you know, because they're always going to get that initial pop. You saw it this morning. And you know, more times than not, they're going to have a drop later in the day. Obviously, there's that difference in direct listing and IPOs. I think getting into that even before we touch on this is a good idea, knowing obviously one of them, the company can unload shares and it's less favorable for the investor, you know? Or would you not recommend, like, which one is that? And would you not recommend playing that one? So you have direct listing IPO and we'll even throw SPAC in there. The way that I look at it is IPO is gold, gold standard. Direct listing is meh, but you know, not not like super gray area. And then SPAC is like, if you want to invest in SPAC, mm, I don't know, I'd probably tell you to stay away from that or use super good risk management. So we'll take direct listing first because I feel that this is the one that is that is most easily confused. And direct listing is is essentially when the company doesn't have the the money to take to, to do the IPO route or they won't, don't want to dilute their shares. And so instead of creating shares like you would with an IPO, you essentially just sell your shares directly to the market. So that's kind of where like the direct listing comes from. Think of it like a house. It, it, you don't go from broker, you don't go from seller to broker to buyer. You just go seller to buyer. And this is kind of how this works. So if I have 5,000 shares, Dan is on the market, I'm just selling my selling my shares. Now that doesn't mean that anybody necessarily will buy the shares, but it's I mean usually they do. Usually you can just saturate the market. Is it could it could you kind of say a direct listing is like an IPO followed by an offering? Yeah, like I mean essentially, amount? but but with the IPO there's like a little more guarantee there's a little more guarantors where where with the direct listing there's no there's virtually no guarantee. So the so the risk to the company is that nobody buys the shares. The risk to the investor is that if I buy them at 15 and they just start saturating the market with the shares, it becomes simple supply and demand. So if they start dumping hundreds of thousands of shares on the market, then all of a sudden, you know, the stock could easily be at 11, 10, $9, you know? So uh, that's kind of like the direct listing. If you're going to play the direct listing, um, uh, 
if you're going to play this, the direct listing, I would just say that, that at least know what you're getting into. Um, like one of the biggest, uh, one of the big, have enough room to average down because the good part is that you could easily be getting a great deal. Like sometimes like, like companies don't have the money to take it public through an IPO and that's fine. Um, but the, the sneaky part about direct listing is that you, it's essentially just people that own the company that are just selling part of the company. So you know that they're not going to sell it unless it's at a favorable premium to them. So like it's like I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna buy my candy bar for a dollar and sell for a dollar twenty. But if you offer me three dollars, hell yeah, I'll sell you my candy bar. That's the way that I'll explain that. The next one I will go to is is the IPO. I think of the IPO is kind of like uh, kind of like when when you're going on like a college tour. Uh, when first you show the goods, you know your grades. You know you, you talk to the management team a little bit, the teachers. And you talk to them a little bit, you know, you kind of see what kind of person they are. And then on the same side of it, you know, you not only do you have to get accepted to the college, but you also have to want to go to the college. And same thing like an IPO, you have to show your goods, but you also have to agree to the investment bank, the underwriter, you know, you, you kind of get some options as well if you're like a premium, you know, IPO. Uh, so the IPOs takes a little bit longer time. You know, they get to go through everything. You know, it, it, the management team and the underwriters work hand in hand. It, it, it's like a big, big process. Um, and then from there, the underwriters work and they take shares from the company, create shares, and then they sell them to, instead of going, so like we said, direct listing, they sell them to investment bankers, market makers, and then they sell them to the us, the retail. <laughs> and that's the key difference there is that the company virtually has no risk at that point. Um, obviously, the company will still own a majority. Well, you'd hope a majority. But at that point, there's really no risk. It's out of their... It, it, it's all the. It, and when out. you say risk, what do you what do you mean like risk? Well, I'm and saying what? I'm saying like like when you do like a direct listing, people have to buy the shares. Mm-hmm. When you do an IPO, it's kind of like that middleman. So it's the company, underwriter, investment banker, consumer. So, so other people can buy the shares aside from just the retail. Yeah, exactly. Exa- well, yeah, that that like like so. I'm not bu- technically, ideally. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, like when through an IPO, I'm not buying the di- like the diluted shares in the company. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a direct listing, I'm buying them strictly from like John Smith, the VP, uh, right. essentially. Uh, with an IPO, you're, it, there's a middleman. There's actually almost two middlemen. Think of it like that. If you're just you're just buying them from a certain person, like in the company in a direct listing, but in an IPO, you know you, who, are you, who you're just buying them from. Yeah, you're buying them from the underwriter and the investment bank that gotcha. that creates the deal, and that's where the risk for the company be, becomes nothing because somebody's already bought those shares. They're they're not. Nobody cares at that point. You know. Like they already have the money in hand. Nobody, it's done with. Okay. And how, how are the prices of these decided on? Cause you know, this thing like before they open on the day, it'll be like, looking like it's going to be priced at 20, then it 1550, then it comes out and it's 1550. Uh, why do they rotate beforehand? Uh, how, in, and then how does it end up at a certain price? Yeah. So uh, the way that it works is, <laughs> so the way that an IPO, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it with an IPO. I'm just gonna go down that route. Is 
they want to, the investment bankers and the underwriters might want to make it as attractive as possible, but they still want to make a good margin. So what they're trying to do is that they're trying to create momentum at an attractive price. And that's why, you know, you'll see something like, uh, like what was like a really good IPO? Like what was it? Airbnb, Airbnb, uh, IPO'd at 162. It went all the way down to 120 and now it's sitting at 150 and it hit a high of 219. That's all within the last year. So the way that I look at it is that they try and make an attractive price, but that's all based on fundamentals, uh, like old school valuation and just understanding the market. And that's why when the market's crappy, you won't see many companies IPO because people just don't have that said cash to throw it into a new company. But when the market's really hot, you notice that all of these companies IPO. So that, that's something to keep in mind now. You know, that's something that we don't have to really worry about right now because the spot, SPY is constantly hitting all-time highs. But it, when you start to see SPY pulling back, you'll, you won't see as many IPOs. And that's just, that's just how it works. Um, but as far as the price, pricing goes, you want to... It's kind of like a game of, of uh, how much interest does the institutions show? How much interest does the institutions show and how much is on the offering or like the S1? If the S1 is over consumed, then that's just going to take shares from the retail, pushing the price farther up. Um, but usually if we're talking about like how it should work or how it does work is that the, the middleman or the underwriter or the investment bank should create somewhat of a discount at open. So if the shares are worth a hundred dollars share, ideally they would want they would want to offer them to the public at 80 giving you know having everyone want to buy these shares pushing the momentum up that's what i would expect all right so lastly we have SPACs, uh special purpose acquisition companies uh we've gone over them before obviously uh we had that big bullish uh SPAC trends back in you know late last year and early this year and basically, it's it's a company merging with a blank check company to go public on the market. From what we recently saw, they'd mainly pop at the beginning. Uh, and then, you know, on the expected merger, the blank check company would go up. And then by the time they merged, or whenever that the ticker change happened, it, you'd see a downtrend happen until, you know, it found that bottom and then it, it reversed hard. Uh, but you kind of did say some negative sentiment on SPACs. Do you want to kind of touch on why? The due diligence that usually takes so long of IPOs is not the same due diligence with SPACs. And so it's like when people come to me and they ask me like, oh, like, what do you think of this company? You know, it, it, most of the time, it's what I know off the top of my head, but it's not me doing two weeks of DD. Uh, it's the same thing with the SPACs. You know, it's kind of like, hey, like, what do you think you're going to do? You know, uh, same with car lots. Car lots overpromised. And, and IPO companies do do this and can overpromise as well. It's just with the SPAC companies, there's so much more hype around it. And there's so much more like, hey, like, just understand. You feel you're, like you're getting in something at a super low price. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah, and when in reality, when in reality, like there can be a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, that's all. No, I, that, that's I really it. No, I mean, I I saw a car lots, and after after all that hype was died down, and I under I understand, <laughs> but um, I guess moving forward, uh, from the newly listed things, 
We got two more things. Uh, someone asked a question about, you know, watching after hours trading to decide about the next day's market. Obviously, watching pre-market trading is, but what do you think about after hours trading to, to figure out, you know, next day situation? Uh, yeah, so I used to do a lot of overnight things to get around PDT. So buying right before close and then selling in the morning. And the only issue is that is that some of it would pop up at 4 a.m., but I wouldn't be able to sell. Now, Webull wasn't around then. <laughs> it's crazy to think that Webull wasn't around when I was first trading, but Webull wasn't around then. Uh, you know, you had like you stock trading some other things, but that really wasn't an option. So what would usually happen is, is that I would buy it at four, it would pop to five at 4 a.m., trickle down, and I would sell at 4.20 before open. Again, that's not a bad, you know, green is green, but, you know, obviously I would have liked to gotten it at that five. And I also didn't see the same risk reward because I always felt like, hey, yes, this looks like it wants to pop, but I'm not sure. Um, now, what I notice is that as far as after hour trading and begin pre-market trading is that it kind of goes in like seasonality. It'll be hot for two weeks and then nothing will go on during after hours. And then for two weeks, it'll be super hot. So if I were to play it, first off, you can't play after hours with size on most things, which is why I personally don't day trade after hours. Like you can't really take size on things. And the other thing is that, um, is that I just don't, like I kind of want to, I, I want to be away from the desk and I don't want to be inside a trade and uh, not know. So if I were going to, to trade after hours, uh, and pick out for the next day, I would pick for something again, high relative volume probably needs a news catalyst and the chart is set out. So that means that like breaking out to the 52 over the 52 week high or, um, you know, uh, has news at like 3 PM, 4 PM, 5 PM. And it just, you know, the, the chart sets up based off that news. So uh, hits a new high, comes down, hits a new high, comes down, hits a new high. And, uh, you know, and, and I would be okay with that. But you also have to make sure that futures aren't like super red because if futures are super red, they'll just wreck momentum. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that I wouldn't play with size. Uh, I wouldn't play with size. I would make sure that after hours had been hot for a few weeks. Then in addition to it, I would want something that has a catalyst and has enough volume and the chart is setting up to gap, but make sure futures aren't red because any one of those things can mess up the next day's trade. All right. Yeah, usually in after hours, whenever I was trading after hours, which I'm not really right now, I uh, usually just play spreads or try and get some dips on things. Last but not least, a uh, lot, a lot, a lot of people are talking about Wish. It's kind of crazy to me at first. Uh, you know, I this may be a flex. Uh, I used to get Wish ads all the time on Facebook. Made a little money. I don't get wish ads anymore. Not to brag. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the company that essentially sells cheap ass fake goods on, on, you know, and advertises them all over Facebook. And I actually think they are one of like the bigger, you know, online retail companies. I remember hearing about that and they spend most of their money on, uh, Facebook ads. I know all this because of a Gary V video. I'm just remembering right now. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, they, they spend all their money on like ads. It's like, you know, them and fashion Nova out there really, really flexing it. But 
why are so many people on it? You know, I I, I bought twenty six dollar Yeezys on there two years ago. Uh, this site that sells cheap goods and takes a month and a half to deliver. Why? What's with all the hype? Yeah. So uh, first off, look at the market cap. Their market cap is coming up on seven billion. That's insane. Well, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, like, Wish is actually like big. They 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 do a lot of sales, man. Yeah, I mean, I just honestly, I was thinking like more like one, maybe two billion tops. If their delivery time wasn't bad, oh my god, people would people would order way more stuff. But obviously, when you're getting things that are one hundred and forty dollars for twenty two, uh, you know, and and the shipping is is a little pricey. It's it's coming from like Beijing. But why? What, what's what's the deal with them, man? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is that if you look at the chart, I mean, there was a huge bottom out at like the eight, nine, ten dollar range, and you can see that's kind of curling back. And I mean, honestly, if this gets over, if this gets over like really thirteen, I mean, thirteen to fifteen, then this is twenty probably easily. Uh, so right now, if this close at like. 1140. I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, I mean, there's pretty good risk to reward. I haven't been able to go through the financials yet, but just from like a chart perspective, you know, it looks bottomed out. It looks like it's curling. And, you know, over that 1250, 13 mark, you know, 1520. If any of you guys remember OSTK, Overstock, um, uh, you know, this kind of reminds me of that to where like maybe it's one of those where, you know, it just starts going. And it just squeezes shorts that have just been comfortable in it for like a year. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I'll be excited for this one. Um, you know, I'll be excited for this one. You know, if it gets over that $12.50, $15 mark, then, you know, $20, maybe $25, $30. You know, like, honestly, if this starts really starting to run, this could be jumping dollars per hour. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave you with that, guys. And uh, before you go, make sure you like us on Spotify. We're climbing up the ranks there. And we realize they're they're big old money, guys. They like you to be around a while. And it all depends on the amount of like subscribers or likes you have. Make sure to like us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. Y'all know the deal. Show us some love because we love you. And uh, use code PGIR on manscaped.com. We'll see yep, you Sunday. Boy. Stay green.